0: Welcome back, listeners, to Agile Disrupted, a podcast for the people in the trenches of Agile, where voices are heard and stories are shared. To start, you have your host, Tabby, which is me. We have MC. Hello, hello. Hi, MC. And we got a comeback speaker from a previous episode, John Augustine, founder of agileburn.com. Thanks for joining us, John. Hey,
1: happy to be here. Round two.
0: Round two. Fight. (laughs) So today's (laughs) lovely, lovely episode is going to be called... Ugh, Agile interviews, enough said. So I wanna ask all of you that's listening to this episode today, John and MC. So as I I run through this synopsis here, so what is your work day like, honestly? Like is your work that you do each day meaningful or is it like sucking the life out of you? Have you become complacent, unmotivated? Do you feel underutilized? Do you feel underappreciated? If so, I mean, was it always like this? No, of course not. Like your first day at any organization is the glorious day of where your inner battery of hope and excitement and curiosity is at full capacity because everything is new and exciting and you're about to begin a new era full of possibilities. But does the organization feel that way too though? Does your hiring manager share the same sentiment that the future is bright and full of possibilities? Or were you hired as a temporary gap to basically fill in? You know what I mean? So when an organization envisions a future that's full of hope, so does the people and the people they hire to bring along with them. But are most organizations looking into the future or obsessing over the present? Are organizations treating people as resources or beacons for better tomorrow? So what do you think, John? Which one do you think it is? Are organizations obsessing over what's going on in the present, or are they thinking about the future?
1: I think it's both. I think there's always that that natural dynamic, that kind of tug of war between trying to build stability versus trying to move forward in the organization Mm -hmm. or kind of advance to the next level. And there's some people in that organization or organizations that, you know, are kind of grounded. In either of those kinds of you know perspectives, um, but I think you know joining an organization or you know going through the interview process or looking through job descriptions, and you know, that's kind of like a process where you kind of try to figure out which way that organization is leading at that given yeah. moment for that for that particular role. Mm-hmm. So I, I think about like the last two places that I've joined, I guess, <laughs> or was hired at. Like I think in both of those instances, I joined companies that seemed like they had promise. You know, like. They, they exemplified hope and the aspiration to you know try new things so i, I guess in those situations i felt like they were they're were focusing more on the future at least during the interview process and i guess the onboarding process
0: yeah and don't you sometimes like look at i guess role requisitions and just you, you read through them and it's like you can see the flags like you can clearly see the flags if this organization is optimistic or pessimistic and that's kind of disheartening too don't you think like you, you read through the the rec description and it and it says one thing for the role, but it doesn't match what the role is intended for in the actual description. I'll see like a fairly common one is for scrum masters and scrum masters and project project managers, it almost seems like they're intertwined. Like they're, it's like they're the, they're the same person almost. Or um, some requisitions will say scrum master slash project manager or agile scrum master. Like what? what's the alternative? Like a, a scrum master that's not agile? Like, I don't understand. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny. I got, um, I wrote down some of my notes here. Like, so I got a rec the other day for a large, large company in Charlotte. And yeah. it says the title project manager three. And in parentheses, IT Scrum Master. What does that mean? What does that mean, right? And then, and and it's it's just bizarre because like I've got like, I've got some significant gripes on the recruiting side of things where like I think a lot of recruiters don't know the industry and they're like mm-hmm. leading agilists down the wrong path or they're just lazy. You know what I mean? And it's just, there's these odd things of just like unprofessionalism and laziness where like the top of your email shouldn't say this is not spam because that <laughs> raises a red flag right away, you know? Um,
0: thanks so for that just, clarification email you're
2: right um so looking at that posting right uh it said things like manages projects and one thing that, that i think a lot of people might differ over like it, it said facilitates the sizing of stories during planning sprint backlog mm. grooming or sprint planning sessions i'm like what is planning sprint versus, sprint versus planning sprint, session?
0: Sprint, what the hell you know? but at
2: the same time um like Backlog grooming's not for me. So, I see other recs where it says, you know, um, runs the backlog grooming session. Like, that's not for me. That's for the product owner. So, they know what the hell to put in their backlog. So... You know, or like, oh, manages the budgets or the the standard develops and maintains a productive relationship with insert business title here. And it's like, are you guys just copy pasting this stuff? Like they totally are. When I read that, I'm like, you don't want a scrum master or an agilist or, you don't you don't want a change agent. Right. To use the terrible buzz buzzword. Um, You want a you want a project manager who's going to run ceremonies. That's what it's that's what it reads like. And when Mm -hmm. I see those, I'm like, no, I'm good. Like even if I'm even if I'm looking, I'm like nope, not for me because I'm gonna get bored there and leave after three or four months.
0: Yeah, and it's like they they like put a wreck together. Like it's Frankenstein. Like we're going to put a little bit of this wreck in here. We're going to put a little bit of agile coaching in here, a little bit of project manager. Oh, and let's just throw in product owner. Let's just make it like a Franken Frankenstein version of, of a role. But I interrupted you, John, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, I don't (laughs) think, I mean, to, I think to your original point or question, Tabby, I don't think that's really an example of pessimism on the organization side, because I think MC's point, that situation, that situation is to me, an example of laziness, you know, where that recruiter Mm -hmm. didn't have a good conversation about what these roles are in order to really try to attract a particular kind of person. And also it's maybe an example of like a hiring manager who's saying, oh, well, if I'm going to get a scrum master, let's throw a little project manager on top of that, you know, sprinkle a little um. BA maybe, you know, try to get that, you know, jack of all trades, which ultimately creates a person who has conflict maybe once they show up <laughs> because they, <laughs> you know, they have multiple purposes, you know, but I think yeah. all that creates pessimism. I think, you know, for people mm-hmm. who are looking for for like a good true Scrum Master role, when they see these kinds of things, you know, it's kind of it's kind of discouraging because like oh, because like maybe you'd be interested in the organization and then you read that job description and then you're like ugh. Well, maybe they don't really know <laughs> if they want a person like me so kind of right. I think it kind of bums you out a little bit if
2: yeah. I see manager's budget I'm out like that's a that's a immediate no I'm good yep like exactly you know, um it's, oh I'm the lazy front today so this happened to today where mm. I got I got a wreck and I read uh-huh. through the description and I and like the first line I'm like did someone just send me a wreck for the company that I'm currently working for <laughs> So, like, to me, that was, like, a lean-in moment. Like, I leaned in. I was like, oh, what? what like what is this? Is there, is there another Brandon. company here that does this? Um, so then I started reading it, and, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to ignore this. So I re- replied, I was like, hey, who's you the, this really- yeah, I was like, what's the company? This sounds really interesting. And yeah. he said it. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm still here. And I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future. My and like, God, <laughs> the response back was, oh, dot, 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 your profile in my system must be outdated. And I'm like, why didn't you look at LinkedIn before cold emailing right. me? Like, why
0: are you looking at an old profile? Do your due diligence, man. Like, oh like and okay so you touched on something john where like maybe the recruiter is misrepresenting the company on a pessimism pessimistic front are we assuming that most requisitions are being posted just by the recruiter or is it a copy and paste from the organization how do we know
1: i don't think we know but i don't know The, the more and more i kind of look into job descriptions and, you know, talk to recruiters here and there, the more Mm. and more I feel they're the middleman in the sense that, you know, they're trying to please the client. And so maybe the client comes up with a job description based on, you know, their understanding of the role. And, you know, at what point does the recruiter say, sorry, (laughs) you got it wrong client, you know, there's going to be some kind of diplomacy there. So I don't know, I, I don't know, my gut feels it's more of like, don't shoot the messenger situation.
2: But I think you bring up a really good point, John, around being the middleman and, and understanding that, hey, company, you've, you've got it wrong, right? Because I've worked with a handful of recruiters where I like greatly respect the approach that they take because they don't send me a job description. They send me, hey, I'm looking to fill this type of a role at this type of a company. And when I speak to the hiring manager, it sounds like they're really looking for an individual who has these types of traits and could come in and work with two or three teams and do these types of things and it's like conversational and then when you bite on that on that lead then they send you the job description and say let's set up a call and talk and i think those are the types of people who are doing two things they're taking the they're, they're going through the effort to understand the industry and be able to translate like bad hr not not bad outdated hr speak into mm-hmm. what like we need to see in the market today and then they they put forth the effort to portray the role for what it really is, and not uh, and not what the posting says. Because um, for every recruiter that I've talked to, they're like, "Yeah, I have breakfast with the hiring manager, you know, once a month to get a good understanding of how the wheels are really turning." And those are the type of folks where I will like go out of my way to work with them because I because I'll ask, you know. So when you spoke with the hiring manager, you know, what's the culture like? How's it evolved? Something that you're never going to see in a posting. And you can tell when they're like bullshitting their way through that answer and give you, you oh, know, yeah. kind of a kind of a BS statement. I'm like, cool, you're you're not engaged. You're just trying to get a warm body and make your little thirty percent off the top.
0: Exactly, and it, it's so hard. Like, let's just be real. It is so hard to find a good recruiter. As much as it is to hard, as hard it is. To- to find a good agile professional like a good product owner or a good scrum master and what does good really really mean right good may be subjective to the the eye of the beholder but i think what i've noticed over a, a few trends with organizations is that they may be going through painful painful transformations and i like to call them fragile transformations versus agile transformations and when when they're going through that that immediately like seeps into the job description. you can you can see that from like a mile away so it does that mean the organization is pessimistic or they're just in a temporary painful period in their I guess in their journey of their agile transformation and they're just looking for help like they're just like waving a white flag like they're they're trying to get people to come like help them out in this painful transformation but again that that brings me back to the same point like are we being optimistic about the future or are we just filling in gaps are we treating people like resources
2: then just say it. Just say we're going through yeah. a troublesome agile transformation, and we need a strong individual to come in and help guide the ship. I'm yeah. pretty like, like what's the old southern phrase? You can catch more bees with honey than vinegar. Like, don't give me this watered down shit. Like, give me the real, <laughs> and then you're gonna you're gonna get the right people. Like, I don't know about <laughs> you guys. I tell you, you both all the time. Like, I'm transparent to a fault. Um, it gets yeah. me in trouble all the time, but I, I think <laughs> it brings me a whole lot more positivity in in my life not just my you know professional you know my personal life as well and and that's just the approach, like, just tell me, like, we're, we've been going through an Agile transformation and it's been stagnant for five years and we need someone to come in here and rock the boat and do X, Y, Z. Like, just be up front and just tell me what it, tell me what it is that you're really looking for. Like, why? It's almost like, it's almost like you're interviewing the company through the wreck to find out if they're, if they're a fit for you. Then you got to interview the company in person while they're also oh, yeah. trying to interview you. And it's like, why are we interviewing each other three times here? Like, just put it up, mm-hmm. put your cards on the table. Let's have a conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that speaks volumes of an organization based on their transparency in that job description. Like I immediately trust that organization already because they they have laid out what their current situation is and they are making an investment of who of what kind of people they're looking out for because they want to establish that transparency from the very beginning. And that also brings me to the point of like, when, when are there times where the hiring manager like is obviously trying to fill in a gap and they just, they have no interest in, like into the future. They are so bogged down and like, I guess, so lost in their paradigm of problems that they're just looking for a, a specific kind of person, a specific kind of scrum master that's gonna play project manager and check all these boxes, but they're not looking for talent retention at all. Like they're they're not looking that far ahead into the future because maybe the organization's pessimism has jaded their ability to look into the future. So that's that's also another factor too. But um, what do you think, John? You look like you're deep in thought.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there are instances where you just need somebody, you know, like. Like if you know somebody leaves the organization and you have to fill that space because you know mm-hmm. there are things in motion, and you know when I think about like certain agile frameworks, you know, some you know when I think about like the big scaling framework to me that's a very structured execution focused framework mm-hmm. and you know if somebody leaves you know you're in the middle of executing on a an increment you know you're going to want somebody to kind of fill that gap and keep the ball rolling so sometimes you know i think organizations just need they, they almost have to forget about the future and just deal with the now which is fair mm-hmm. um but i think to mc's point you know be transparent you know be transparent about that you know say hey right now you know we got we have to solve for x and y but you know mm-hmm. later on, you know, maybe we can kind of work on, you know, on z and maybe a couple of your ideas even but i think that's when i when i think about job descriptions that have an emphasis on execution so i when i see a lot of words like budget or project manager oh. in the job description i think one of two things one is you know they're kind of stuck maybe in a place where they they need something from an execution point of view like they're trying maybe they're feeling pressure or there's something going on but also like when you i think when you see those words it exemplifies where they are in their transformation mm-hmm. so in a way like when you you see those words it's almost like they're asking for help <laughs> indirectly yeah. i well i guess you have to to your point of optimism you kind of have to hope they're asking for help saying here's where we are right now but help us get out of this help us scrum master by helping us get out of this kind of project mode and move more to a product you know value you know kind of flow mindset
2: i'm glad you bring that up john because it it actually makes me reflect on some of the stuff i just said a few minutes ago right i think i am personally at a place in my career where i'm not interested in the traditional transformation where we're significantly struggling to do x y z like i've been there i've got those scars and battle wounds i'm not trying to fight uphill anymore i'm trying mm-hmm. to get to a place where we're trying to build a new road right we, we've gone through the slog or or if you look at like the virginia satire curve right like we're on the upswing i'm not interested in the downswing anymore been there done that so i'm glad you bring that up john because i think and the reason i say that is i think when i take my approach and thought process regarding the the job postings that i get i can see if if i put them on a, on a satire curve um which for those if, if you're listening you're not familiar with that it's basically you know you're what you're here where you're at and then as you start to curve down that's where your transformation happens and over time you're going to curve back up i think i look for those postings that are starting on the uh, starting on the upswing are already up on the upswing and they're getting ready for their next curve right because it's it's not you're not always going to go up you're going to curve again but so one thing though just switch gears here that i'm super interested in and, and i know as we pre-game this um you brought this up tabby and and when we listened to the simon sinek interview with brian collins you know they talked about culture fit yeah Yes. And how, um, so we've talked a lot about the recruiting side, so let's transition to the interview side of it a little bit because it's mm-hmm. it, it's a whole other dynamic. And I think a lot of places, they like, and I've worked at places like this where it's like culture fit over everything else. And oh, I, think, I think that works when you're still a startup and I yeah. think that works when you've got like 20, 30 people, right, which is still kind of a startup. But once you start topping you know, three figures of employees, I think that like pressure and drive towards culture fit creates these clicks within the culture. And I think that has more negative benefits than not. Tabby, I know you've got big thoughts on this.
0: Oh yeah, big time. So I will share with you all a story, okay? So I was the underdog growing up. I will always be the underdog deep, deep in my roots. So when an organization is, like let's say they're they're interviewing me, um and they they're they're looking for a specific archetype of a person and it starts pushing into this metaphor of oh we want this we want this binary carbon copy of all the people that we have in this organization we're not interested in what you're trying to bring like really is that really culture fit or culture click like you you're not good enough I'm, I'm sorry said person like you don't you don't fit the bill like we're we're just gonna play the mean girl card and like you could just go on your way so i i bring that up because that's very disheartening because when when we're hiring people we're hiring for the future right we should be hiring people to bring in a culture contribution to build this community that is obviously diverse but also brings insight that we weren't even even thought of and how often does that happen like you you come into an interview and um you start to see flags like not the good kind but the flags of where they're looking for a specific kind of person and they're asking you specific questions so the so that you answer it a certain way so they can check some boxes in their head if you're a good culture fit and i mean again that's very disheartening because an organization that's optimistic about the future isn't looking for a specific outcome so why should they be looking for a specific culture that fits the existing bill when that's ever changing as it is but i'm going to ask you that question john what do you think
1: i don't know like culture i guess is such a big word but like if you just you know if i think about like um bob galen i think he kind of had a podcast recently where he talked about like the key things that he looks for in an interview and he mentioned three things but two things come to mind like attitude and aptitude But like the attitude part to me is like the cultural piece of it, you know? So, I mean, like how much, how much can you really gauge about a person personally, or even the, you know, how much can you gauge about an organization during like an interview that maybe takes one hour, if you're lucky, maybe two. I mean, how how deep can you go to really understand if, you know, you feel like you're aligned, but attitude on both sides of the fence, I think can be picked up in those conversations and to me, that's probably the only thing that defines culture, or the only thing that maybe you could probably define as culture. You know, during that brief exchange. Um, so, like an interviewer sits down with somebody, and they're just just a bummer, <laughs> and they're looking for somebody to help them grow the organization. And you know, that person's like, oh, you know, my last job sucked, or whatever. That just, I, and maybe that person just had a bad day. But if they're not expressing some kind of positive attitude then i think it's fair to say that person doesn't have a cultural fit but i don't know how far how much further you can go
0: yeah and you could see it from from both sides too because you have to interview like you're you're being interviewed but you're also interviewing the the company and the organization and when you think about that and you, you think about a future future relationship with this hiring manager let's say like you're trying to envision your future isn't it important for hiring managers to teach like new hires to envision their own future for themselves and to th- to have them build a confidence about that same future because otherwise they might feel like they're they're hired to do a specific task and they are limiting themselves like that's that's all they're hired to do like why would they invest into a growth mindset if that wasn't even expected of them and
2: I think we're not in a role to be stagnant forever You no, know what I mean like like and I think that's where especially when you're doing like contractor contingent worker type stuff I think that's where the industry really needs to change and it might not it might not just be for agilists and scrum masters it might just be for every role you know? um you gotta you gotta build your people in one way shape or form um whether they're consultants or contingent workers or ftes so i think that's a really big part as well and and on the culture fit side of stuff i know one of the really cool things that that brian collins alluded to in the conversation um he had with simon sinek was it's not just the are they a culture fit but it's also like the input that they can bring to the culture so i think when we when we evaluate culture fits i think what winds up happening is we look for you know the the same type of person that's already there but i think and. like the cha- the challenging side of that is okay what is this person's mindset if we can assess it somehow in this meeting what does that bring to the community will that jive with the community will they challenge some people in the community like i know um you know obviously you know we all work together and i've interviewed people um, and you both were not a part of the interview process and You both crossed my mind at certain points as I'm talking to these candidates and say... How would this person jive with Tabby? Like, I'm noticing some XYZ oh God. about a, about a you're, personality. You're putting here. me
0: into this scenario. That's not a good outcome, man. Like, you just how, don't know.
2: <laughs> how fast is Tabby going to rub this person the wrong way with her public personality?
0: <laughs> Thanks, um, MC. I really appreciate yeah. that.
2: <laughs> but, but even on the flip side, right, for John, right? I know, John, you, you have a very intellectual mindset of how you approach things. And I'm like, okay, um, would John challenge this person... Uh, mm-hmm. Based on their demeanor in this conversation, if they challenged, how's that going to come across? And I think all this leads me back to my—I um, don't know even what to call it—but it's my favorite question I asked during interviews. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when we interviewed someone a few months ago, I made them cry with this question. Okay, um, you made someone cry. It, Good
0: work, MC. Yeah, r- that was r- great. Like real legacy right there.
2: But but it's it for me. It's this is my culture question, right? If you could spend one day with any person, dead or alive, who would it be mm. and why? And I'm looking for a lot of interesting things in this conversation conversation i'm looking for are you just gonna pick are you gonna go in and say i'm gonna pick simon sinek because he's a f- phenomenal agile thinker and blah 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 like mm-hmm. you're gonna just pick like the biggest name and one of the biggest names in our industry
0: Yeah, like, really you know I mean? like be a little original man you're gonna
2: you gonna pick <laughs> elon musk you're gonna pick barack obama like and if you're picking those names <laughs> okay. you better have an amazing reason
1: why Seriously, and that's kind of like, what, what i'm what... looking for
0: right i pick like, larry elon David. Musk, though
1: like <laughs> <laughs> larry david's awesome imagine that but like that's that minder I'd love to kind of pry into that mind one day. <laughs> and and when you talk about
2: culture fits, that mm. tells me exactly what I just said a few seconds ago, that you're an intellectual thinker. You think a few surface levels deeper than most people do. And that's a type of character that is needed in a culture because i know like when we're in conversations i sometimes turn into the dominant voice in the conversation and i look to p to personalities like you john to be a little bit more inquisitive and not just dive in heads first right i can't always be the bull in the china shop and you need the the other type of thinkers so when you're having those those culture conversations it's like it's not just (laughs) is everyone like john is everyone like tabby is everyone like mc I need someone that's the complete opposite of John, but maybe they've got the right enough soft skills that they can challenge him in a positive manner, too. And I think that's where the culture fit push attempts to go but i think in in many situations it evolves into like a a gray blob of employees where
1: everyone Mm. looks the exact same
0: exactly and maybe it should be rebranded like to culture contribution versus culture fit but go ahead john so
1: i think the example that mc just gave like in a way you kind of defined culture through the very act of asking that question because like by you asking everybody or thinking about, like, how is this person going to challenge others? How is this person going to be react? How are they going to react to being challenged? That, to me, is you saying our culture values the act of challenging each other. And so, in a way, you're looking for a culture fit. <laughs> right? You're saying, yeah, we are challengers, therefore, we're looking for a challenger. Are you one of those? Are you one of us?
0: <laughs> we want a challenge answer, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: a good point i, I think yeah. though um you know when we talk about you, you brought up earlier john about like uh are you just trying to fill a gap right sometimes you just need that gap other times you know again going all the way back to what you're talking about before tabby are we just resources or are we looking to the future right mm-hmm. um there are there comes a time there's an inflection point when you're building an organization where you say okay cool do i need to hire another xyz or no do i need to bring someone in here who's gonna stir some shit because we need mm-hmm. it because yep. we're 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 getting complacent. And, and I, it's interesting. I know for me personally, there are times in my career when I feel like I'm getting complacent in a job. And that's uh-huh. when I'm like, all right, cool. It's time to like tighten the belt another notch. And we're about to create a new project for me because I'm getting complacent <laughs> and I'm getting lazy, right? Just like the recruiters.
0: Yeah, and I know this is kind of turning into like a Brian Collins fan club, but like, I mean, the man was on point in that episode. Like I've like we're just kind of giving kudos to him, but a, a quote that like really hit me hard is what when he mentioned um, that like when when the people that he hires become these gladiators and these all stars and they move on to bigger and better things, Simon Sinek kind of talks about like how do you feel about that? Like you hire people and then they become great and then they leave you, and he basically responds with like the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side; it's greener where you water it. And I just I think that's so profound because I know that when I guess interviewees are going into the job market is that grass going to be watered maybe you're maybe you're not looking for like the perfect golden ticket to like the Willy Wonka factory but um you're you're hoping as much as they are like they're they're hoping for an optimistic future but are they actually going to plan for that future are they making efforts for that future and I think that's very important in that basically in that conversation that you have with your hiring manager and um I'll share with you both a story of mine where I, this was a, a learning experience for me. And if I hadn't gone through in this, gone through this, I wouldn't have like be able to see the flags of the interviews that I see now. And I I went through an interview and the, like the title was so vague and redundant. It, it was called consultant. I'm like, the the hell does a consultant mean? Like that could be like, that could be a giant umbrella for all things in the world. I could be a consultant for Tony Stark for all I know. So like consultant and like, they, I looked at the job description and it had some elements like of scrum master responsibilities but it, I was such a novice that like I just kind of ignored the other flags of the project manage, manager expectations so fast like fast forward I nailed the interview I get there and the office holy shit like the, the office doesn't even match the job description like it's a satellite office they didn't even mention that and like the the environment is very toxic obviously it's a it's a pessimistic organization you could just tell by the energy and long story short I didn't I didn't stay there very long but it made me reflect on what were they thinking in the interview? Why did, obviously they wanted a specific kind of person to complete a specific kind of task. And maybe they hired me as a vessel of, for tasks. They weren't even treating me like a person. They hired me to just complete a task, not have a full thought process and contribute to a culture. Because when I joined the office, I'll tell you, I, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I didn't understand what their thought process was in bringing me into this, into this organization. Because obviously I didn't fit in. I wasn't meeting their needs i had a like a full thought process and i provided complete sentences so i wasn't just yes man so i think about that and it was it was disheartening on my part because i kind of felt a little betrayed you know because we we have one conversation in the interview and maybe the hiring manager doesn't follow through on the other end but sometimes you could be in an interview and it could be one perspective of what the organization is but when you actually start and, like you start your first day, that's when you really get the truth. And um, it, it can be scary sometimes.
2: So I'm glad you brought up the interview side of it because I'm I'm interested, or you shared that story. I'm interested in both of y'all's like best, worst interview story that you've... So my favorite interview that I went through made me the most uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. uncomfortable to the point I wanted to throw up when I was done. So we met um, <laughs> at like... <laughs> <laughs> we met at, like, a little two-top table out in, like, a open area, you know, patio-type thing outside of an office building, and when we, we start going through the questions, and we're learning stuff, and he, he asked me a question. I can't exactly remember what it was, and, and it was one of those, you ever get asked a question in an interview, and you're like, oh, I know this answer. So oh, I yeah, him, buddy. I, I give him that, <laughs> like, yep, I'm prepared for this one. I give him that answer, and he gives me this look and I can tell his body language was like, huh, okay. And then he asked me another question and my brain was like, that's the same question, but just different words. And we went through this song and dance four or five times. And by the final, the final time I answered it, I was like angry. I'm like, I, I'm giving <laughs> you the answer and I know that it's right. I'm not cheating on the test teacher. I actually know this. Why are mm-hmm. you asking me the same shit over and over? So I get done with the interview and I'm like, oh my God. Like I just, what did I do to piss this guy off? I like bombed it. And then, like, mm-hmm. the way we, like, you know, separated and went back to our office buildings and stuff, it even that felt cold. So then I, I talked to the, the the handler that was there, and, and she says, oh, my God, Michael, he loved you. He said, you did such a great job. And I'm yeah. like, are you fucking shitting me? He asked me the same question <laughs> five times. I felt stupid. And it made she you goes, feel
0: obsolete.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and I said that, and she, and she laughed, and she says, yeah, he was just trying to rattle you. He wanted to see if you actually knew something and, and if you mm-hmm. could... Answer a different question that was the same question but come to the same conclusion. He wanted to make sure you weren't just, like, memorizing, you know, the Scrum Master shall X, Y, Z. And I was mm. like, that's cool, but, like, tell me that. Like, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's like I hated the interview because I felt so bad, but then I loved yeah. it because I was like, oh, okay, I see. Like, and that's what, when I do my interviews, that's the approach that I try to take. How can I make sure this person's not BSing me? Because I've got an hour, two tops. Um mm-hmm. You know, if it's early or if it's later in the process. So, um, John, what are what are your thoughts? What is one of your favorite or worst, least favorite, like, interviews you've gone through? <laughs> well, one of the
1: interviews that comes to mind was actually, it to me, it was a good experience. Like, I actually didn't get to round two. So I must have screwed up in some way, but I just oh boy. Re- remember the experience. And um, when I'm sitting, when I was sitting in there, I was, I knew like within a minute that I was talking to somebody who kind of got my role. Um, so right away I could, I mean, there was kind of like a calm tone to the interview where it didn't feel like formal and stressful or anything like that. It felt very conversational. And then right away I could, as I was kind of talking about, you know, some of my background and some using, I guess, some agile buzzwords, I could tell this person understood my language. So, but I, I felt like that even kind of increased the level of comfort or conversational tone to the you know, she asked me about my different experiences, like, how would you do this? How would you do that? Um, and there were some points in the conversation where I did stumble and stuff, but, you know, still looking back, I felt like it was, it was just a good experience because I felt like it wasn't, you know, we talked about, we talked about words. It wasn't a person who was maybe trying to understand this the scrum master role, um, or, you know, maybe had, you know, struggling with that, that curve that you were talking about MC, where they're you're trying to figure out, do I want a project manager or scrum master kind of thing? Like this person knew my role in a way that we could quickly get on the same page, you know? So it felt like there was a good vibe. Um, And ultimately, yeah, I guess, like I said, maybe I I didn't kind of, you know, make the cut or, or I said something stupid, but, in a way, I felt it was a good experience because that, I, I don't know, it felt like that person through their experience, you know, and their familiarity with my role, they were prepared to have that conversation with me. Looking back, it felt good. Nice. Tabi, what you think?
0: Man, I'm glad I got time to like think about this. Thank for, thanks for asking me and like, ask, like waiting till the last minute. I, I, now I know how this feels. Um, so my last interview experience was quite comical because uh, I like, I actually had to move out of state. To into the unknown, to a city I've never been to, I don't know anybody. So the interview was this weekend trip that I made, right? And I was just kind of humoring it for the most part. And the interview process was was very impressive because I didn't expect the format to be in this speed dating kind of fashion. Like I was very much challenged and I like, it really um, honed in my improv skills. I kind of like tabled for a couple of years, but like it really came back during that interview because you got like, for like five, 10 minutes to like answer these questions and um, they just they just keep coming so I was I was very engaged and very excited oddly in this interview like I didn't feel like it was a conversation that was just dragging on for like hours and we keep repeating ourselves it was I was actually being tested and I think me as a person um, I love being challenged in a conversation I am all for witty banter so if, if you're like challenging me to give a response in five seconds I am all for it like game on so I particularly liked that interview because it wasn't it wasn't focused on content it was it was more focused on thinking on your feet because isn't that kind of how life is? You get thrown into like some some BS and it gets thrown at you and you just you just have to think on your feet, but you want to think things through. And it puts you in a in a challenging spot to have that balance. Um that and this interview was probably like my my last one. Um and I just I distinctly remember it because I look like it was a big group, right? And um the other people were very, very serious in this interview. Like they, they had this serious tone and the serious face on and I'm just like <laughs> Having a ball, like I was, like I was having a good time throughout the entire process. But I, I definitely liked it, and the, the format was very good in the, in a way that it kept you engaged versus sitting in a chair for four hours trying to like j- just get through the interview and just and just four hours talking to a person is just very exhausting. But that's that's the inner Ambervert coming out from from my stand <laughs> But nice, yes, I like it. so I'm gonna ask you both one more question with with the content that we have today. So and this is about this is biased towards us because all three of us are, are senior agilists so when you see wrecks on linkedin or like whatever job posting site um typically you, you look at the wreck and then like you immediately like glass door the organization like it does the wreck like is the wreck a little too optimistic and you just kind of like you fact check them a little bit like if the it's the organization at a 2.5 out of five like it's not a good sign so you look at the rec and like, they have all these different versions of the scrum master. Like the other day I saw this rec for senior associate scrum master. And I just I, di- I didn't understand like, wh- wh- which one is it? Is it is it senior scrum master or associate scrum master? And then that, that thought process turned into what's the difference? So I'm gonna ask you both. Um, what do you think the difference is between scrum master versus senior scrum master versus agilist versus senior agilist with this four tier system that's going on?
1: I, I think it's years experience experience or the expectation around experience. I know for myself like I kind of label myself as a senior scrum master partly because I don't want to be hit up by recruiters of, for like junior scrum master roles because it's not going to work out. You know, it's, it's something where it's probably like, you know, if they want somebody who is at a different, you know, I like guess lower pay grade or whatever because they want someone junior, you know, I'm in, I'm lo- I'm looking for something else. So the word using the word senior kind of just lessens the noise. Um and cuz I you know, I'm at that place where I'm looking for for like those you know different kinds of challenges that maybe a junior scrum master might be looking for so for me using the word senior kind of helps me hone in on a, on a fit quicker so it's that label to kind of you know cut the noise i think for me i view it as i view it It's arbitrary
2: that there's a difference Mm -hmm. because I think, at my core, I believe you should be able to do most of the same stuff whether you're junior or senior. You just may not be as effective at it, right? Or you may just, you may need a little helping hand. Um, But I think, I think that's like my belief. But I think when these roles are out there, I tend to view them um, just like John in, in a pay perspective. Like that's just obvious, right? It's business. I see... One of the things that I'm, I guess when I, see if I'm going out for a senior role, which is what I generally look for, one of the things that I'm kind of quizzing the business on is like, at what point in time am I expected or going to be able to impart change on the organization, right? I know for me personally, I absolutely love working with teams. I want to stay working with teams as much as I can, but I want that flexibility to be able to do some organizational stuff, right? Right. Um, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. We were like, oh man, I'm stagnating. Let me create an organizational project and then (laughs) fall back, fall back to my teams for a little while. Um, so that's kind of where I see the difference at when you talk senior and, uh, I don't see a difference between scrum master, agilist, agile coach. I think that's all bullshit HR. Uh, Mm. I think it's all, it's all the same damn job. You might be this, you might be team centric. This person might be executive centric. It's the same damn thing. Um, in my eyes. So I just view the senior as kind of like the HR way of saying like, you're going to have an opportunity to do a little bit more than just work on teams and just facilitate the ceremonies and manage the budget and do all the project manager shit.
0: (laughs) I agree. And just, it puts people in a box. It, it just does. I mean, let's just call it that, okay? Like, when you have a tier system for a role, that's, de- like, it's just, it's a dedicated role in the scrum guide, people. Like, it, there's no version one, version two, version three. And then, like, when you get hired as, like, oh, you're, you're a senior scrum master and you have junior scrum masters underneath you, you think they're not gonna change? So what happens when they are no longer a junior scrum master? Do, do they have to s- remain in their actual title when they're actually a senior? Like that's why the the tier system is flawed because scrum masters grow. Like any any wonderful, wonderful scrum master out there will have a team, they will grow from that team and the teams make us grow because as scrum masters, we are inherently also looking at a future. We're looking at a future of how we can make this team successful. And we already know that future is present and we recognize it. So we're optimistic by nature and knowing that it helps us grow as agile professionals too. So I asked that question because it I just think it's really flawed and um when we when we put people in a box we kind of limit themselves of their actual potential
1: I think there's a little (laughs) spin to that though let me just just I guess throw a little
0: yeah go for a
1: little bit on there so like Suppose you have an organization that's very contractor-based, you know, so they don't think long-term, they don't hire people for the long-term, they don't hire FTEs, they hire, you know, one-year contracts, six-month contracts. So they think, you know, okay, what can I do to get get by for the next year? So we kind of talked earlier about like execution, like worrying about the now versus the future. So right now, you know, they might be looking at a situation where the now... requires a person who can have or can deal with a modest amount of like scrum master responsibility. So maybe it's a person who um, can handle one team You know, maybe and maybe senior scrum masters they feel like, well, I can handle multiple teams, I can do that, and plus I can deal with the business. Um, So in that case, you know, I think that job description would be looking for somebody who would be, I guess, considered not a senior scrum master, but a junior scrum master. But that term doesn't really exist. Junior scrum master, it's really like either your scrum master or senior scrum master. So if they ask for somebody who's a senior or just a regular scrum master for the short term to fill that gap. I think that's okay because there's somebody out there right now who is probably sitting in, you know, in their current day job saying, "Oh man, I wish I could be a scrum master <laughs> if I could only get the chance." You know that that first year (laughs) chance, you know, to kind of, you know, get the calluses that MC was talking about earlier. Um, You know, so those people, you know, they'll kind of, they'll embrace the junior scrum master role or that. And that's, I think that's okay. So I think in those cases, it's okay to like differentiate senior versus regular scrum master because i think the circumstances require somebody with maybe a smaller scope and there's a person out there who wants that smaller scope they just want to get you know some basic experience to maybe even know if that's the career path that they want i think that's fair
2: i mean organizations kind of need to know what they're hiring for you you you, it's just business right that's just the nature of the business you're you're you may have a team that has an opening and you're like all right i need like a strategic thinker in here because they need to challenge the product side over here because they just They're missing the boat. So I need to bring in somebody with the right skill set who maybe they've got product experience and and I need them to come in here and maybe I need them to do more a little more consulting than than facilitating. Um, or hey, I got a team that's like getting ready to go to support. They got about six to eight months left. These I just need a body to keep the to keep the wheels on.
1: But to your point, Tabby, yeah. eventually that person might like being a scrum master, and the scrum master role by definition is a learning, you know, growing organism. <laughs> So, eventually one year from now they're probably going to say hey you know i want that next level challenge i want two teams you know i want to work with the product or the the business now and at that point you know if your organization doesn't think ahead in those terms then that person's probably going to leave and you know look for that challenge elsewhere
0: right i totally agree and maybe the compromise is just to not like like i'm completely okay with just being called an actualist like or just a scrum master i am that dedicated. Dedicated role in the scrum guide like that that's who I am and maybe my intention isn't to showcase my seniority because I I showcase many many skill sets but I am a dedicated scrum master based on the scrum guide and um, that way you have this this possibility of becoming something bigger than yourself right because when we when we try to hire people we try to hire what they will become versus what they are now because that's very very temporary but um, I'm gonna leave it on that note on that mic- drop because we will definitely have more episodes around this topic because this is a very, very important and heavy topic in the agile space. So I just, I want to thank you, John, for, for kickstarting us of a series of episodes we're going to have on agile interviews. <laughs> <laughs> you're first welcome. Oh yeah, and you're definitely coming back for those too. Round three. So, um, round three. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all you listeners out there, thanks for joining us on today's episode, Ugh, Agile Interviews. Stay tuned for the next season one finale coming soon. Agile Disrupted.